staying in the uh, Renaissance era, the late 1500s, early 1600s. begin with the end of love's labor lost. The song. Spring. When daisies pied and violets blue and lady smocks all silver white and cuckoo buds of yellow hood do paint the meadow with delight. The cuckoo then on every tree mocks married men. For thus sings he, cuckoo, 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 oh, word of fear, unpleasing to a married ear. When shepherds pipe on oaten straws and merry larks are plowmen's clocks. When turtles tread and rooks and daws and maidens bleach their summer smocks. The cuckoo then on every tree mocks married men. For thus sings he, cuckoo, cuckoo. Cuckoo, a word of fear, unpleasing to a married ear. Winter, when icicles hang by the wall, and Dick the shepherd blows his nail, and Tom bears logs into the hall, and milk comes frozen home and pale. When blood is nipped and ways be foul, the nightly sings the staring owl. To wit, to woo, a merry note. O greasy Joan doth keel the pot. When all aloud the wind doth blow, and coughing drowns the parson's saw, and birds sit brooding in the snow, and Marion's nose looks red and raw, when roasted crabs hiss in the bowl, the nightly sings the staring owl. To wit to woo a merry note, O greasy Joan doth keel the pot. Ben Johnson, a friend of Shakespeare's. Someone wrote this little verse about him. Fetch me Ben Johnson's skull and fill it with sack. Rich as the same he drank when the whole pack of jolly sisters pledged and did agree it was no sin to be as drunk as he. In 1631, he'd written a play called New Inn or the Light Heart, but he was so unhappy at the end of this play, he published the following ode, in which he threatens to quit the stage forever and turn at once a Horace, an Anna Creon, Anna Pindar. The just indignation the author took at the vulgar censure of his play begat this following ode to himself. Come, leave the loathed stage, in the more loathsome age, where pride and impudence in fashion knit, usurp the chair of wit. 
inditing and arraigning every day something they call a play. Let their fastidious vain commission of brain run on and rage, sweat, censure, and condemn. They were not made for thee, lest thou for them. Say that thou pourest them wheat, and they will acorns eat. T'were simple fury still thyself to waste on such as have no taste. To offer them a surfeit of pure bread whose appetites are dead. No, give them grains their fill, husks, draught to drink and swill. If they love lees and leave the lusty wine, envy them not their palate with the swine. No doubt some moldy tale, like Pericles, and stale as a shreve's crusts, and nasty as his fish scraps out of every dish, thrown forth and raked into the common tub, may keep up the play club. Their sweepings do as well as a best-ordered meal, for who the relish of these guests will fit needs set them but the alms basket of wit. And much good do it you then, brave plush and velvet men, can feed on orts and safe in your stage clothes, dare quit upon your oaths the stagers, and the stage writes too, your peers, of larding your large ears with their foul comic socks, wrought upon twenty blocks, which if they're torn and turned and patched enough, the gamesters share your guilt and you their stuff. Leave things so prostitute and take the alcaic loot or thine own Horace or Anacreon's lyre. Warm thee by Pindar's fire and though thy nerves be shrunk and blood be cold, ere years have made thee old, strike that disdainful heat throughout to their defeat as curious fools and envious of thy strain. May blushing swear no palsies in thy brain. But when they hear thee sing the glories of thy king, his zeal to God and his just awe over men, they may, blood-shaken then, feel such a flesh-quake to possess their powers, as they shall cry like ours, in sound of peace or wars, no harp e'er hit the stars. In tuning forth the axe of his sweet reign, and raising Charles his chariot above his wain. This magisterial ode, as Langbane calls it, was answered by Owen Feltham, author of the admirable Resolves, who has written with great satiric acerbity the retort courteous. His character of this poet should be attended to. In answer to the ode, come leave the loathed stage, etc. Come leave this saucy way of baiting those that pay, dear for the sight of your declining wit. Tis known it is not fit that a stale poet, just contempt once thrown, should cry up thus his own. 
I wonder by what dower or patent you had power from all to rape a judgment. Let's suffice, had you been modest, you had been granted wise. Tis known you can do well, and that you do excel as a translator. But when things require a genius and fire, not kindled heretofore by other pains, as oft ye have wanted brains, and art to strike the white, as you have leveled right, yet of men vouch not things apocryphal, you bellow rave and sputter round your gall. Jug, pierce, peak, fly, and all your jests so nominal are things so far beneath an able brain as they do throw a stain through all the unlikely plot and do displease as deep as Pericles, where yet there is not laid before a chamber made discourse so weighed as might have served of old for schools when they of love and valor told. Why rage then when the show should judgment be and know? Ledge there are plush who scorn to drudge for stages yet can judge. Not only poets looser lines, but wits and all their perquisites. A gift as rich as high is noble poesy. Yet though in sport it be for kings to play, tis next mechanics when it works for pay. Alcaeus' lute had none, nor loose anacreon, ere taught so bold assuming of the bays when they deserved no praise. To rail man into approbation is new to yours alone, and prospers not for no fame is as coy as you can be disdainful, and who dares to prove a rape on her shall gather scorn not love. Leave then this humor vain and this more humorous strain, where self-conceit and choler of the blood eclipse what else is good. Then, if you please, those raptures high to touch, whereof you boast so much, and but forbear your crown till the world puts it on, no doubt from all you may amazement draw, since braver theme no Phoebus ever saw. To console dejected Ben for this just reprimand, as this author calls it, Randolph, one of the adopted poetical sons of Johnson, addressed him with all that warmth of grateful affection which a man of genius should have felt on the occasion. In answer to Mr. Ben Johnson's ode, to persuade him not to leave the stage. This is by Randolph. Ben, do not leave the stage, cause tis a loathsome age, for pride and impudence will grow too bold when they shall hear it told they frighted thee. Stand high as is thy cause, their hiss is thy applause. More just were thy disdain, had they approved thy vain. So thou for them and they for thee were born, they to incense and thou as much to scorn. Wilt thou engross thy store of wheat and pour no more 
because their bacon brains had such a taste as more delight in mast. No, set them forth a board of dainties, full as thy best muse can cull, whilst they the while do pine and thirst midst all their wine. What greater plague can hell itself devise, hand to be willing thus to tantalize? Thou canst not find them stuff that will be bad enough to please their palates. Let them them refuse for some pie-corner muse. She is too fair in a hostess, t'were sin, for them to like thine inn. T'was made to entertain guests of a nobler strain, yet if they will have any of the store, give them some scraps and send them from thy door. And let those things in plush, till they be taught to blush, like what they will, and more contented be with what broom swept from thee. I know thy worth and that thy lofty strains write not to cloths but brains, but thy great spleen doth rise, cause moles will have no eyes. This only in my Ben I faulty find, he's angry they'll not see him that are blind. Why should the scene be mute? Cause thou canst touch the lute and string thy Horace. Let each muse of nine claim thee and say, the art mine. T'were fond to let all other flames expire, to sit by Pindar's fire. For by some strange neglect, I should myself suspect thy palsy were as well thy brain's disease. If they could shake thy muse, which way they please. And though thou well canst sing the glories of thy king, and on the wings of verse his chariot bear to heaven and fix it there, yet let thy muse as well some raptures raise to please him as to praise. I would not have thee choose only a treble muse, but have this envious, ignorant age to know. Thou that canst sing so high, canst reach as low. Now, there was a poet named Edmund Waller, born on the 3rd of March, 1605, in Hertfordshire. His father died as he is, when he was an infant, but left him a yearly income of 3,500 pounds. On her passing through a crowd of people, as in old chaos, heaven with earth confused, and stars with rocks together crushed and bruised, the sun his light no further could extend than in the next hill which on his shoulders leaned. So in this strong, bright, Sacherisa fard, oppressed by those who strove to be her guard, 
as ships, though ne'er so obsequious, fall foul in a tempest on their admiral. A greater favor this disorder brought unto her servants than their awful thought durst entertain. When thus compelled, they pressed the yielding marble of her snowy breast. While love insults, disguised in the cloud and welcome force of that unruly crowd, so the amorous tree, while yet the air is calmer, just distance keeps from his desired palm. But when the wind her ravished branches throws into his arms and mingles all their boughs, though loath he seems her tender leaves to press, more loath he is that friendly storm should cease, from whose rude bounty he the double use at once receives of pleasure and excuse. Upon her majesty's new buildings at Somerset House, great queen that does our island bless with princes and with palaces, treated so ill, chased from your throne, returning you adorn the town, and with a brave revenge to show their glory went and came with you. Well, peace from hence, and you were gone, your houses in that storm o'erthrown, those wounds which civil rage did give, at once you pardon and relieve. Constant to England in your love, as birds are to their wonted grove, though by rude hands their nests are spoiled, there the next spring again they build, accusing some malignant star, not Britain, for that fatal war, your kindness banishes your fear, resolved to fix forever here. But what new mind this work supplies? Can such a pile from ruin rise? This, like the first creation, shows, as if at your command it rose. Frugality and bounty, too, those differing virtues meet in you. From a confined, well-managed store, you both employ and feed the poor. Let foreign princes vainly boast the rude effects of pride and cost, of vaster fabrics to which they contribute nothing but the pay. This, by the queen herself designed, gives us a pattern of her mind. The state and order does proclaim the genius of that royal dame, each part with just proportion graced, and all to such advantage placed, that the fair view her window yields, the town, the river, and the fields. Entering beneath us we descry, and wonder how we came so high. She needs no weary steps ascend, all seems before her feet to bend, and here, as she was born, she lies high without taking pains to rise. Of a tree cut in paper. Fair hand that can on virgin paper write, 
yet from the stain of ink preserve it white, whose travel o'er that silver field does show like track of leverets in morning snow. Love's image thus in purest minds is wrought without a spot or blemish to the thought. Strange that your fingers should the pencil foil without the help of colors or of oil, for though a painter bows and leaves can make, tis you alone can make them bend and shake, whose breast salutes your new created grove like southern winds and makes it gently move. Orpheus could make the forest dance, but you can make the motion and the forest too. Here is an epistle or two to Phyllis. Phyllis, twas love that injured you, and on that rock your thrices threw. Oh, for proud Salia could have died, or you no less accused his pride. Fond love his darts at random throws, and nothing springs from what he sows. From foes discharged is often meet the shining points of arrows fleet in the wide air creating fire, as souls that join in one desire. Love made the lovely Venus burn in vain, and for the cold youth mourn, that's Adonis, who the pursuit of cheerless beasts preferred to sleeping on her breasts. Love makes so many hearts the prize of the bright Carlisle's conquering eyes which she regards no more than they, the tears of lesser beauty's way. So have I seen the lost clouds pour into the sea an useless shower, and the vexed sailors curse the rain for which poor shepherds prayed in vain. Then Phyllis, since our passions are governed by chance and not the care but sport of heaven, which takes delight to look upon this Parthian fight of love still flying or in chase, never encountering face to face. No more to love will sacrifice, but to the best of deities, and let our hearts, which love disjoined, by his kind mother be combined. Thank you.